Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name my is... Name. Does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. Braxton, <laughs> you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Hmm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. Paul McCartney is a scientist that regularly engages on the Blood Origins platform. I really like Paul because he brings a very pragmatic, conservation-based approach to his thought patterns around hunting and how he engages hunters. He also blends in the societal aspect, which is something that, honestly, from my perspective, I don't often pay enough attention to. And so this conversation really started because Paul brought on Wendy Kefover from the Humane Society of the United States onto his podcast to talk about the petition that they put forward to ban black bear hunting in the state of California. In the lead-up to that conversation, Paul and I discussed how he should approach the HSUS conversation. And I said to him I wanted to have him on post his conversation with Wendy to sort of dig into what she said and why she said what she said. And so this is essentially a follow-up to a podcast that Paul pushed out on Hunt to Eat with Wendy Kefover from the Humane Society of the U.S., so I would encourage you to go over and listen to that podcast and then come and listen to this one. 
Paul is a phenomenal individual, very well-spoken, articulate, intelligent, and I thoroughly enjoy sparring uh, scientifically with him. So enjoy this conversation. It's a bit of a nerd out, but you'll enjoy it. So you're the one of the one of the individuals that inter- in, interacts with us on Instagram. That one isn't afraid to. Well, sometimes you you push me, then you slide into my DMs and go, "Hey, I'm not being an asshole." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like that you say that I slide into your DMs. That that it's you know it's a, it is a little bit of like a with like a winky face sort of thing too. Yeah. So why do people you know? I guess it's just the 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 nature of the beast, right? The nature so. of Insta- social media that people just think you're mad at someone when you disagree with them. Yeah, yeah. I I think that's and this has happened to me on several occasions on Instagram where uh, I've had like in the comment section a disagreement with someone. Then we've moved it over into the private messages, and it's become very productive and resulted in a lasting online friendship. And it's it's it is. I think it's and it's. The audience factor when people have an audience, it just Something changes. It. Yeah, or they just you know like you like you know a lot of a lot of times when people disagree with me, which is a lot, and I like it mm-hmm. because it allows you to flex a little bit on your you know your intellectual capabilities and your your knowledge base, and then they come into the DMs. They're like, I'm not trying. I'm you know I'm not I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm not you know it's mm-hmm. it's almost like a a sorry, sorry kind of scenario in the DMs. And I'm like, no, it's fine. (laughs) Well, and often when I want to message you something like that's, that I just feel is, is a little more nuanced or in depth from a comment section, then that's when I'll send you like an essay in in the the DMs. Right. Because I'm like, this is an interesting conversation. Um, but it requires a conversation and not just, not just a, a, you know, a hot take in the comment section. Right. Yeah. And and I'm yeah. I'm just increasingly less interested in in just like these kind of point getting approaches mm-hmm. and comment sections, mm-hmm. right? Um Yeah, I had a guy reach out to us today who was vehemently like it's the first time we've been going at this now four and a half years, and we have a very unique style to how we film. Very direct. Mm-hmm very engaging i call it engaging we purposely lose focus so that i think it's beautiful and subtle this guy hated it he thought it was horrible he's like how did you don't you're not supposed to film like that and i said it's i he told me it was horrible and i was like man appreciate the feedback thank you for being so direct Mm -hmm. he was like why do you do it and i was like i gave him a you know actually a half political answer Mm. And he was like, I just don't get it. It's so distracting. It's, it, you know, and I was like, you know, would you, would you be willing to become a supporter of ours, you know, to continue to engage the non-hunting audience? He was like, only if you tell me why you do it. At the end, I was like, you know, it's a style thing. It's a personal preference thing. Like that's, I think it's beautiful. I think I, I like it, but some people don't and that's okay. <laughs> But that's like that's see, it's, uh, you're right. It is okay. But I can't really imagine messaging like a musician, for instance, and being like, "Why do you play guitar that way?" Like, yeah, it sucks. All the ways it's to horrible. play guitar. Why do you choose to to pick the strings that way? It's that's an interesting um, approach. That's like it doesn't disagree with the the content, um, but but is like uh, as an art form 
filming yeah. then, but yeah. that yeah. you're like, no, that I don't like it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Your art this, sucks. But you know, this is an interesting one too, because I have been trying to think about this a lot recently. Uh, I grew up uh, really embedded in the music scene and playing music. And the first, the first thing that I wanted to do, I deliberately got bad marks in high school so that I couldn't get into university because I wanted to just be in a band forever. And I thought if I can't get into university, then I have no backup plan. I just have that to make sure that hilarious. Yeah. Well, the, the band didn't work out. So I had to go back and raise my marks and go to university and um, that I never left. But what, what it has allowed, what it has shown me a little bit or pushed me to, and I think you'd probably do this too, is we talk about science and conservation and wildlife management, and all these political things. And I try to think about how can I bring a creative, how can I mm-hmm. think about that creatively mm-hmm. and that we engage with talking about this stuff in a way that stimulates people's sort of creative faculties and interests that way mm-hmm. and not only their, you know, intellectual side, right? And mm-hmm. I think that like, that's something that I really enjoyed about the films when I started watching the Blood Origins films was that I was like, oh, here's this topic that it's it's so overtly political presented mm-hmm. in a very artistic way you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well uh paul mcconney mcconney right yes yeah Dang, i got it right i'm doing well i'm two for two today i don't have my, to message you later <laughs> be mad <laughs> uh welcome to the blood origins podcast uh five minutes in and i have just introduced you so yeah hey. thank you uh um, Introduce yourself to those who may not know who you are and what you do. All right. Well, uh, everyone knows now I'm a failed musician, so that's good. Good way to start. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I live in Whitehorse, Yukon, Canada. Uh, I do a variety of environmental, um, social and natural science, environmental uh, research work. So I my interest is really in kind of bringing together different forms of academic knowledge and local and scientific knowledge around wildlife and conservation and environmental issues. Um, so I've done, I've done government work and academic work and private stuff. Um, but then uh, I started, that led me into hunting. I through my academic interests, I got into hunting in my mm-hmm. mid, early to mid twenties. Um, and it, because I, I, it occurred to me that while I'm studying and learning about all this stuff academically, I'm missing out on a, a key part of the, the personal engagement with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where I, I am now. And then I moved to the Yukon because the hunting opportunities here are unparalleled. Pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So that's awesome. Yeah. Well, as I said in the beginning, I think you're one of the few individuals, especially in the academic world that can sort of bridge the gap in terms of, rhetoric of conservation science emotion sort and sort of just thinking through arguments right um Mm. and that's what i quite enjoy about you i quite enjoy the the sparring uh that we do on instagram um and then also you've you've recently taken over the hunt to eat podcast right yeah, we started it uh back in oh sorry i thought it was always going and no it was just Martin was doing it and then just let it fall and somebody picked it up. But no, it's okay, brand new. So you just yeah. got it. Brand yeah, new. We just, we started it in October, October, 2021. It's our first one. So great. Yeah. And I know that you obviously have some good guests on. And one of the things we want to talk about today is probably a guest that, um, you know, maybe after today we have her on our podcast, um, uh, because, uh, 
seemed fairly open-minded according to the conversation, but we'll find out from you. Um, and that was that you had two of the individuals that were the signatories on the Humane Society of the U.S. Before I go on, did you did they discuss the difference between Humane Society and the Humane Society of the United States? So okay, so who I I had it was Wendy Kefover, who I had, who's yes okay. one of the two one of the two signatories. Um, and I yeah. on the HSUS petition against black bear hunting in the state of California. Let me finish that thought pattern. Yeah, exactly. Ahead. That's right. Yeah, one of the two. And so she's so Wendy is the senior strategist for Native Carnivore Protection with the Humane Society of the United States. And I am now careful about that because they did clarify to me, I kept saying Humane Society and they did clarify. I don't know the difference, but I, I'm now, they did say it's Humane Society of the United States or HSUS is fine. So I don't know exactly the difference, but yes, it was Wendy Kefover. Um, so we had her on and had a, had a great chat about, started out talking about no, 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 no. A okay. great chat? It was a thought-provoking chat. And awesome. um, it was one that gave me insight into how I, I, how I, I think, how decisions, how organizations like the Humane Society of the United States, now I'll start saying HSUS now, how they yeah, make yeah. decisions and the kind of ideological basis and beliefs that they're working on and yeah. uh, and um also how i think that they structure their approach to things because they have a a supporter base that and, sure. and a funding base that they are that they are sure. you know working with so sure so you had wendy on um how did you start like i know we talked a little bit about like how you would approach it but um did you just ask her pretty much out the gate, like, why are you wanting to ban bear hunting? That's what I would have asked. <laughs> Almost. So, my, so the first thing we talked about is I asked her why she was so willing to talk to me. Because, I, mm -hmm. and, I, and I will say, when I, when I reached out to her, it was, there was no hesitation. She said immediately she would love to come on and chat. Uh, now, I think, I think um, there was a, a communications person at HSUS who helped facilitate the introductions. And they went and listened to the podcast and we talked a little bit about the approach I wanted to take. And I'm not interested in the, the sort of backing people into a corner, right? The gotcha sure, moments and stuff. Not. So, of course not. But that was what I asked first. Why Why did you want to talk? Why was she willing to come on? Um, and then went right into the bear thing. Essentially, you know, what is it that's – and I was curious about the science, right? Mm -hmm. um, as you and I talked about, it wasn't – we were not there to convince one another mm -hmm. that bear hunting is good or bad. Mm -hmm. I was interested in exploring the um, the petition and what mm -hmm. they said in the petition and kind of unpacking some of that a little bit. Mm -hmm. Then it definitely got interesting for me. So what was her answer to why she wanted to come on? You know, her answer was the same as why I wanted to have her on. She said um, that hunters, that she, she sees a lot of overlap between some of the big picture goals hers, her goals, and also HSUS, and a lot of hunting organizations. And she can see a lot of common ground there to a point. And, but certainly one of the common grounds is just, and it, and it goes back to what you and I were just talking about, interest in dialogue and interest in going beyond the hot takes and the, the sort of quippy jabs and getting down to actual dialogue. 
um, mm-hmm. and being able to recognize, and she had the same interest as sort of saying, let's put aside certain things and talk about others that we can kind of branch out from a common place. And, and of course that common play, well, maybe not of course, but the, the common place is um, in our case, at least in that one-on-one moment was we both care about wildlife and we both recognize that there are things, environmental changes and big landscape level things going on that have an impact on wildlife. And so there are moments when people everywhere need to kind of work together for a mo- even if it's temporary, to keep wildlife on the landscape and keep land right. healthy habitats right. for life for wildlife to exist in. And then we can deal right. with the rest of it. Yeah. Well, and that's what we've said all along, right? Is mm-hmm. that there? I'm not. I'm going to unfairly categorize HSUS, mm-hmm. but HSUS and vegans actually want the same thing as hunters, which is healthy wildlife populations, whatever you want to define healthy as. Mm-hmm. We just have two different routes in which we believe that we can get to that outcome. Yeah, exactly. And and different, uh, as you say, ideological ideas or, or beliefs around um, what upon achieving healthy wildlife, what constitutes that next step, a legitimate, mm-hmm. that next step? What is it that we then as human beings do need to do? Right. And can, should do in our interactions with wildlife. Um, where I say, I, I come from a place where I go, my default is to think that hunting is a positive thing. Something that's mm-hmm. good for us as human beings it's 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 a thing that i think has tremendous benefit to to ours to us as a species and can have benefits to society and so i come from a place of if the population can sustain a hunt i am sort of automatically in support of having a hunt mm-hmm. that's that next step right and of course mm-hmm. wendy and the hsus that's where they completely that's where we completely differ yeah because they do not believe that the the taking of life, the killing of an animal from an opportunity perspective, regardless of the, the, the ecosystem consequences, from an opportunity perspective should not be something humans should be partaking in. Yeah, and Robbie, this is where it got really revealing and fascinating to me. And I didn't know this. So this part about the HSUS. Now, they have a whole section on their website around trophy hunting. And it's one of their main campaigns is to is to ban trophy hunting. Hundred percent. And they, they use the hashtag Everywhere. Ban trophy hunting, right? And so this is something that that I kind of misunderstood, though. I, it, I you know, you know this. We always ask, well, what is trophy hunting? There's, mm-hmm. I still have yet to come to a widely applicable definition that always applies, right? That that can, that can kind of well, fit the, every re- the reason the reason you fail is because it's vague. That's right. And so, anything that is vague is super useful in the rhetoric charging game, fundraising game, because it is purposely vague. Yeah. And so I asked, well, what, what is trophy hunting then? And, um, and I don't, I, and I don't ever mean to unfairly um, paraphrase anyone, but essentially it's carnivores. The, the HSUS is focused on, ending carnivore, hunting for large carnivores. 
and I, I use large carnivores because Wendy was was um, precise, uh, and, I, and I appreciated that precise in her terminology and differentiating, you know, large carnivores from, you know, meso meso predators. Do you think that? Do you think she was so precise because she was the native carnivore specialist for Absolutely. the HSUS? Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, certainly. Um, and so I asked, well, what about? Um, I'm surprised that it, you know elephants weren't lumped in there and rhinos and stuff. Well, like that. they definitely are zebras, right? I'm, uh, I should uh, I should zebras. pronounce that. Come on, it's zebras. I know I should say that properly, um, but essentially, but it's ludicrous that zebras are on that list. Anyway, well, and so I asked, right? You know, what about then um, ungulates for trophy? And the answer um, I appreciated, but it also confounded me a little bit because Wendy said that really we we largely won't ever see the HSUS go after ungulate hunting. It's, Do you know it, why? Yeah. So this is where it kind of confounded me a little bit. Um, now, but it, it confounds me a bit because if we were to, I think I, I've got a hypothesis of why, but well, you, and so part me. of it is came down. It was, it was a um, two, it was two. I think there were two, again, to paraphrase two responses. One is the social answer that um, when you do surveys, of the public we find that when that support for hunting changes depending on the purpose of hunting when you ask the public do you support hunting for food the public largely supports hunting the non-hunting public i mean it's somewhere over time it's been around the 80 percent right yeah 6 percent yeah. right when you ask the public and they had in fact um the hsus has in fact just done a, a survey recently on this and when you ask the public do you support trophy hunting it's high seventies that say no, yeah, but as thirty four percent in favor. Yeah, right, exactly. But as you say, the the um, lack of precision in the definition makes this really tricky. And so this mm -hmm. the second part of it of the answer about why the focus is particularly on large carnivores. Um, Wendy talked a lot about the biology, reproductive rates, um, you know, prolonged time that that mothers keep young around in cases of bears for instance it can be before that before you know young or weaned it can be you know it can be two years um you know i'll point out that so do some ungulates but um so there there and then and then some aspects of the population ecology when you and and i and this i take this point very well um that when you remove when you kill um members of certain carnivore populations it does affect the population differently than when you shoot a male deer, right? The population right. responds differently. So yeah, that was, that was in large part, that was the answer. It was, and she really talked about the biology and the ecology of carnivores and what and how, and essentially was saying she, they don't feel, and she doesn't feel that hunting carnivores is sustainable. It's biologically sustainable. Interesting. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this is where it, I, I found it quite uh, personally, um, philosophically stimulating because then mm -hmm. I, I said, I, I, it was, I was very open. I not, and again, not ever in a way, not in a way to shock, but I was very open. Black bear meat is my favorite game meat. Um, mm -hmm. It's, it's, I absolutely love it. So just if I start now thinking, well, is it, is it not sustainable to hunt? Yeah, but my, my you know, 
the sustaining part, right? The def definition of sustaining. If the data shows, and, and again, this is something that maybe we haven't explored from a science perspective, but I think we have, but maybe we haven't. From a sustaining perspective, is there a predator population that is not sustaining right now its population numbers and we're still hunting it? And if that's the case, then we shouldn't be hunting it. Right. And I don't know of a population where, and so it comes back to the whole, again, it comes down to the, like, all right, let's go back to the science. Let's go back to the data and to the challenge that I laid down to HSUS, which was, mm -hmm. okay, let's pay for the science. I'll, we'll step up half. You step up half. Let the science speak. If the science says black bear populations in the state of California are declining, of course we'd cut back the quota. Of course we'd stop, you know, moratorium on hunting, that kind of stuff. But if the black bear population is increasing and the science says so, this is the way the rubber meets the road. Is that I just don't think it would go the other way. And you asked her that question, right? Yes, I did. And so um, the answer was no. It would not go the other way. And this is because the HSUS will never support a trophy hunt. You know why? And again, do you know why? Because if they do, they will lose money. Yes. And you said this right from the beginning. Yeah. That's what I said. And that's mm -hmm. why, again, um, Why she said they would never go after ungulates mm -hmm. is because deer are not going to create money. That's right. Elk is not going to create money. Squirrels are not going to create money. Carnivores mm -hmm. create money. Mm -hmm. Carnivores have cubs that are really cute. Yep. Bear cubs, lion cubs. Elephants are cute, can raise money. Rhinos can raise money. The big mega charismatic animals and here's the thing about the biologically sustainable and i'm i try to be careful with the word sustainable because in the strictest definition when you talk about something being sustainable it really it's not only biologically or environmentally there's also a social aspect to, to sustainability from a technical <laughs> perspective so i try to i try to use sustainable when i really do want to talk about it being both socially acceptable and biologically renewable. But so from a strictly biological perspective, and I guess, hey, Wendy did talk a lot about the ecology and, and life history of carnivores. Um, yeah, but she, but it sounds like she didn't talk about when times are good. Well, then, and, and, and in terms of predators, right? When, yeah. when times are good, bears are having four or five cubs at a time. So there's that. And lions are producing cubs like a cat produces cubs. There's the 24 that. Lions project in Mozambique is now the 72 Lions project in two years. Okay, so there's there were there was an, there were two things for me. One was um, then let's just then we just adjust the hunting regulations as we need to, and like like you said, I I will go on record all day saying let's adjust hunting regulations up and down when the science, sure, when when the biology indicates that we need to, you know, claw back a little bit when when yep. populations need to. So just to me. The fact that um, the fact that a, a bear population, for instance, needs to have a different approach to hunting than a deer population is a not new to me, and b not unacceptable to me. So if and if that means that if, if a carnivore population needs to have 
less hunting or different kinds of hunting, different seasons, what, what have you, then that's, that's sort of why we have those tools within, within hunting regulations is to be able to adjust and shift those so that the hunting can be biologically sustainable. And so I don't think it's quite right to say, well, but that bears can't sustain harvest because mm-hmm. they can, it just may not be exactly comparable to deer. Well, let me throw a wrench in the works because you lumped, I don't, I came from a different school of um, sustainability in which societal sustainability, societal value, societal acceptance wasn't something we talked about Mm. because it's all driven by biology. How do you, how do we reconcile that in which the societal values tied to carnivores is significantly different than that tied to a deer in that you you essentially would not it's 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 apples and oranges so why then if you're supposed to just like you just said you're supposed to biologically there shouldn't be a difference but societally societally Mm -hmm. i don't know if that's even a word sure sure yeah it is i got there is a clear difference we've seen it in bc Seen it in California a little bit. Seen it in Colorado. So why then should we even worry or care for or listen to the societal side of things when it's in my brain, in my heart, in my opinion, it's very much flavored from a a perspective, emotive um, rhetoric perspective versus concrete mm-hmm. biology, science, sustaining po- populations perspective. Yeah. And this is where um, I have had to come to be a little bit comfortable with my my own hypocrisies on this because um, I also, it, it, like you say, in my heart, I, I, I think hunting is beneficial. I think it's positive. And so I, my default is, if the population can sustain a certain har- a certain hunt, a certain harvest and take, I think we should do that. Where that, where I feel kind of hypocritical there is that when I, when we look at the history of conservation in North America, and I don't want to be inflammatory here, but the history of that, the history of that story, that story has never been only biological, has never been only natural scientific. It's always been a social history. Everything that's happened to wildlife on this continent, the story that we tell, the bison, wolves, and predators, and um, you know declines in rest and and uh, restoration of wildlife, those have always been influenced by social values. Predators were almost wiped out in North America because of social and political values. Bison were driven to near extinction because of social political goals. And so, it, when I when we look at this, we we see you know hunting organizations in throughout history started the big, the big hunting organizations in North America started as sporting organizations, right? They wanted, and in fact, Mm -hmm. they were at one point, they were very against subsistence hunting. Mm -hmm. It was all about sport. That's Mm -hmm. a social end. That's a social activity. And I'm not saying that these things are incorrect. I mean, of course, driving the Buffalo to near extinction is incorrect, but right. But I'm not saying that, that, that we should demonize any of this story only that we should be consistent with how we think about it now. And so when we have a, a society that which we do, that we, we say is 
governed through democratic processes, which we want. And we have a model of wildlife conservation that explicitly writes democracy into its tenets, which we do, and we celebrate as hunters. I'm not sure how we can be consistent with our ethics and beliefs and values by saying that we then, as a, as a, as a new experiment in this story, that we no longer want politics and social values in. And again, I, I get that I don't necessarily like that. But, yeah, but I, aren't you being, maybe, I don't know if you've thought about this way, but aren't we being inconsistent even in that realm because the societal and political pressures that caused bison to go down and predators to be lost, there was no biology being considered at that point. It was purely societal, purely political. There was no inference mm -hmm. to science or biology, which is the objective cursor to population dynamics. And so hmm. now we have it. So the, the societal and political pressures are there. Yes, but we have something greater hmm. in my mind mm -hmm. as a scientist mm -hmm. that is a more objective cursor than societal and political implications. So yeah. we're not being, we're actually, we, I, we're not being consistent. We were inconsistent in the past. We're inconsistent now because we've almost flip-flopped it, right? To, yeah. to, we are hopefully, you know, using the best science. We have the best yeah. science for wildlife management. And, and and that's what is being driven by biology. Yes, there's some societal values tied to it, um, but not enough to sway, in my brain, wildlife management because someone says, I just don't like it. Sure. And that's it's and it's a it's a great point about where we've come with scientific methods. And this and part of this is what, as you know, is in the HSUS petition is questioning the validity and rigor of the science. And and so I guess I and I and I don't disagree with you there where I kind of come back to is. But when we have to actually make these decisions. And when we get on, when we get out into the sort of the world of policymaking and legislation and, and petitions and everything, we, we are in a situation where the reality is that the non-hunting public does influence mm -hmm. this. And so mm -hmm. we have, you know, biology doesn't tell us what to do. It tells us, it gives us an indication of what exists and upon making certain decisions, what we might expect, right? But that, that, I, I to me, what we, the decisions that we make in advance that we that then allow us to conduct science so who, what gets funded and what doesn't get funded what questions get asked and not asked and then what we do with that biology those are all social political decisions um, and so to me then the biology doesn't actually tell us what to do it doesn't drive policy people drive policy and they use mm -hmm. science to estimate and uh, to the best of our ability what we can do within certain parameters of what's acceptable and what might happen if we act certain ways. And so uh, while I don't disagree at all, as you know, at all that, um, yeah. I mean, if, if the population can sustain a hunt, let us hunt. <laughs> but mm -hmm. at the end of the day, that's just not how the legislative decision-making process works. So it comes, I think it comes right back to your question about then what do we do in a situation where the social values around carnivore between carnivores and say ungulates 
is so drastically different for reasons that aren't grounded in 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 biology Science, usually biology, right right data. right yeah we still have we still have to deal with those right we still have to engage with those because that's just the reality that we're in mm-hmm. yeah and i think that's you know to uh what we do at blood origins is we're just interested in creating content mm-hmm. that puts a little bit of an emotive tie to the predator landscape so for instance that's why we're filming lionheart the way that we're filming it we're filming a lion houndsman documentary that's all about the dog because people love dogs mm-hmm. and people connect with dogs and that they're cute and you know you, they're heartfelt and these dogs are doing something that's a little controversial but the dogs absolutely love it mm-hmm. and it's not a human beating the dog to do this thing it's the dog saying i want to do this thing and it goes from puppies to you know adolescent dogs to adult dogs to a dog dying mm-hmm. and that's tied to people who predator hunt. Mm-hmm. And Wendy did mention that in, in previous work, she'd worked with lion hunters and houndsmen um, to, to refine hunt, lion hunting regulations in Colorado. Um, I believe it was Colorado to refine hunting, lion hunting regulations to ensure that. Oh, not to ban no, lion no. hunting? And in, no, and, and she worked. Not, she wasn't behind SB 22031? No, I, this was some years ago. Come I don't on. Have oh, the, yeah, yeah. I don't <laughs> have the details, but she spoke very highly of the experience of working with houndsmen to sort of refine the regulations so that it was a, a more selective take. Now, she very oh, for sure. yeah, readily yeah, yeah. and honestly recognized, and when I asked, well, what next? Then very readily and, and honestly recognized that well then then their then the path their paths would probably diverge because mm-hmm. she's not okay with line hunting but there was this there was a moment there right where the goal was to make sure that lion populations would be sustained Persistent. and there was yep. a, there was a moment in time when those objectives aligned even mm-hmm. if the philosophical foundation that led to them is is fundamentally different mm-hmm. um, and so this is sort of where I, I, this is what I try to like, like get to let inform me about how I talk about this trophy hunting thing. And then really, I don't like to use that because I just, we just lose all track of what we're talking about. But, but I think more specifically, as you said, the differences in social values between carnivores and non-carnivore carnivores and how mm-hmm. we engage with shifting that needle. Um, because I, I think to me, I, I maybe part of the, task in front of us is to completely reconfigure how people form those values why is it that people see what is it is it is it is it bambi what is it that makes people see and value and think about carnivores differently than ungulates have you read uh, david guaman's monster of god no i have not holy smokes you need to read it. yeah good yeah it's all about alpha predators in this world okay Great. And it's about the brown bears in the Carpathian Mountains in Romania. It's about saltwater crocodiles in Sri Lanka and Australia. Mm-hmm. It's about Siberian tigers. Um, uh, I think polar bears are in there. Yeah. I can't remember what else. But the whole premise of the book is that humans innately are tied to alpha predators. Yeah. And that it's like this tribal DNA of comp- 
competitors mm-hmm. essentially in the landscape mm-hmm. and that we view ourselves as an alpha predator and so when we we understand the reverence that is to that animal and what it takes to be that animal and how it survives and how it takes care of its kin and um so do it's, you th- it's an amazing book do you think that that evolutionary and maybe genetic proclivity to uh, ideas of, uh, about predators is also at the heart of what we're seeing around in, in broader and non-hunting and anti-hunting, the smaller group of anti-hunting circles that push back against predator hunting. Do you think that there's, it's somehow, it's somehow flipped and, and yeah, there's both sides. Yeah. Yeah. There's both sides. There's this competitiveness to the prey mm-hmm. that we're in competition with one another. That's why I want to eliminate you. Uh, but there's also the, like, I stand with you because I see who you are right. and I, you recognize who I am and we're both the, the top of the pyramid. Mm. And, uh, you know, I bow to you in reverence and you bow to me in reverence. And you can see the intelligence in their eyes and you can see the intelligence. You know. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. See, that's one that I have a difficult time um, identifying with is the, the sentience argument. Well, we shouldn't hunt this species because of their level of sentience. And I, mm-hmm. I have a difficult time with that one because... How do we draw a threshold? How do you know? Well, and how do we? Well, and what, how, do, how we, do we know? How do we know? Yeah, I understand the idea that this is my my take on it is that I understand that you can measure pain through a human derived anthropomorphic methodology of pain receptors that we understand to be pain. That's it. However the human context of pain and what it elicits inside you, I don't think translates to animals. And because we've seen so many things in the animal kingdom, like deer walking around without a backstrap. And, and it doesn't look like they're in pain. And granted, again, that's me being hypocritical because I don't know what that may be represented in an animal looks like. And, and what the, the kind of anthropocentrism part to me is, is the crux of it. Because we say, are we to say that we draw the line at, at sentience when it's at a certain place that, like you say, that we have imposed human-centered ideas on because it speaks to, that sounds and it looks and it feels like that's more of a human level? Because mm-hmm. why does that mean that another animal with, quote, less or different sentience is not worthy of, or more worthy of dying or not dying? And that's... So to me, I, I have I have found the need, and I have been able to come to a level of comfort with hunting, with killing things. I, I try to come to that point completely independent of this kind of human-imposed anthropocentric idea of, you know, you're the same as me or you're different than me. And mm-hmm. so I, I now that's not at all to say I, that I don't res- understand and respect and 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 I see that historical relationship with predators you're talking about at all. Just that then when I go to, I think that that when people hunt bears or lions or polar bears, you know, I I don't, we've definitely come to a place where I don't go and hunt a black bear with this animosity towards Mm -hmm. removing Mm -hmm. it from the landscape. I've, I've been on polar bear hunts and I've worked, I've talked to many people who've hunted polar bears and there, there isn't a, there's never been a hint of, I got to get mm-hmm. rid of you. And so mm-hmm. 
I, I, it's like, while that's the seed of this as hunters, we, we try to push ourselves. Right. And then yet we see in this, these, we see organizations capitalizing on, like you say, the flip side of that, which is this, what becomes this ultra sympathy and, and um, protectiveness over predators that, you know, that maybe is not, uh, it's not, is not as consistent or fair or whatever in the way that that people come to that. Um, so no, hundred percent, man, hundred percent. Well, um, I know we wanted to talk about HSUS and we, we went through a couple of rabbit holes, which was amazing. Um, we should definitely do this on a regular occasion. If something crops up, that's a little controversial. Yeah. Um, and that you have a different position than I do, then we should definitely jump back on and, uh, and go at it a little bit. Yeah. Well, I mean, ultimately I'm, I've been very happy to see what I hope is positive, um, and, and promising steps in out of Washington and California mm-hmm. and Colorado around, around some of this. It's been a pretty good year this fall. Yeah. And I just, I hope that, uh, I hope, I hope we get better science on black bears in California because we didn't sure. have time to get into it here, but we did talk a bit about, um, the science. And as you, you and I have talked about, we both absolutely recognize the need for better science mm-hmm. on black bears in California. That's not, a, that's not up for it's just expensive to get. That's all. It's, it's expensive, just an expensive to get. endeavor and a timely yeah. endeavor that, um, mm-hmm. shouldn't preclude you hunting, which is what HSUS wants, right? They said, we want more science. Mm-hmm. We want better science. So stop hunting right now. And if that happens, okay, I get it. If, you are okay with hunting coming back. But once it's gone, they will fight tooth and claw. Yeah. Excuse the pun. And and if and not to come back. we have to be okay, everyone, and, and as much as I have sort of challenged and I frequently challenge hunters to be, we don't have to agree with the public and other social values that say, well, I don't like hunting. I, in fact, I think we should push, I think we should engage with those and, and advocate for ourselves. What I try to challenge and push hunters to do is not dismiss that as an mm-hmm. important part of what decision making around wildlife and an influential one, whether we like it or not, it's there. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I try to challenge hunters and push to say, yes, advocate for, for science and biology, mm-hmm. but don't dismiss the existence and the role and the influence of social science and social values. At the same time, I say that also to organizations like HSUS to say, well, only a small percentage of people like to hunt is is why does that mean that it's not valid right whether it's 10 percent or 80 percent of the population in fact if it's lower percentage that just tells me that it's more sustainable mm-hmm. that the populations can sustain it so i i push back on that to those organizations well, as and well you, and to that point you couldn't have higher densities of hunters that's right you couldn't have 10 20 30 percent hunters because you wouldn't have wildlife that's right and so i say to those organizations as well that social values the part, the part of the public that that values hunting and values that form of engagement with wildlife, that those values are also valid, and also need to be respected. When, yeah, hundred percent. So, yeah. Well said. Well said. Enjoyed it, Paul. This is great. Thank you. No worries, buddy. Till the next time. Well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening. As always, leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly. Do what's right to convey the truth around hunting.